Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that in your love you sent your Son. And that in your Son's life and in particular in his death and resurrection, we see what your love in action is. Help us this morning, Father, to love like him. In his name we pray. Amen. We're a week out from Easter. It's come around very quickly again. And Jesus has been in complete control of the whole experience leading up to Easter. And in chapter 13, verse 1, he says quite clearly that his hour had come to depart from this world. He knew that his time was up. I wonder if you knew how many hours you had left in life, what would you do? What would you do? In a bit of morbid fun this week, I went to a church, uh, not a church, I went to a website called The Death Clock, where you can put in your height and your weight and your date of birth and a few other health statistics, and it will predict your day of death, so you know when your hour is up. Sadly, Sunday, November the 11th, 2068, will be a very sad day for everybody in this world, and particularly my family. I may have fudged my weight statistics to push the gap up a little bit further uh, as well. That's a bit of morbid fun, putting something like that into a website. And we know that a computer can't predict our day of death. But what if you did know your last hour? How would you spend your time? Would you do everything that you could to get more time, to prove the clock wrong? Would you go crazy on some bucket list of experiences? I'm going skydiving or swimming with sharks or I'm going on a reality TV show and trying to just get the most out of my last few hours. How you spend your time when you know your time is limited reveals what's most important to you in life. And as we look at Jesus' last hours over this coming week ahead, we'll see not just what's important to him in life, but as he spends his time, we're also going to see what ought to be most important in our life as well. And it all centres around one word, a word that we hear very often in our culture, a word that we're very familiar with, but a word that often we fail to understand and put into practice and that is love. The scene for us in John chapter 13 really is a scene of love. I'm calling it love portrayed. It's the final night that Jesus spends with his disciples. He's been having the Passover meal, that very symbolic meal that takes us back in time to when God in love rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. And it's during this meal in verse 4 that Jesus stops and does something altogether unexpected. Have a look at verse 4. He got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. I don't know if you can picture what's happening in that scene, but it's absolutely incredible. Later in verse 13, Jesus will say to his disciples, you call me Lord, you call me teacher, and rightly so, because that is who I am. But here is the Lord, here is the teacher, 
stooping down at his disciples. He's taken off his robe, his clothes. He's wrapped a towel around his waist and he's come down and he's taking their dirty, dusty feet, pouring water, washing them. I don't know if you could imagine your school principal doing that when you're in school, coming into your classroom. All right, boys and girls, take off your shoes. Going to give you a foot cleansing. Could you imagine your boss at work doing that? Could you imagine Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, coming to church this morning and saying, free foot massages for everybody? Now, if we lived in a marginal seat, maybe that would be a possibility. But sadly, I think that's a dream that won't come true. We can understand how incredible it is in Peter's response to Jesus, where he says in verse 8, basically, no, Jesus, you will never wash my feet, ever. Because Peter knows that this is the position that the lowliest of low, the servants of the servants take. This is not what the lords and the masters and the teachers do. It is shameful what Jesus is doing. And Peter says, Lord, don't stoop so low. You shall never wash my feet. But as Jesus does this, he reveals what's most important in life. We may choose to spend our last few moments in life on a bucket list, but Jesus takes up a bucket and pours water and serves his disciples because that's what life is all about. Life is about love. And love is about laying aside position and power to serve others. And of course, what Jesus does here in the washing of his disciples' feet is really just a preview of the movie event that is about to happen in a few more hours' time, when Jesus would not just lay aside his robe, but would lay aside his life on the cross, where he would humble himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, as Paul would say in Philippians 2, not just to cleanse people's feet, but to clean their hearts, to wash away the one thing that is keeping them unclean before God, their sin and the judgment they so rightly deserve. That is true love, laying aside even life itself out of love of others. And of course, that message of true love is very different to the message our popular culture puts out there, isn't it, when it comes to love? Our popular culture says love is something that you find you go on these quests to find true love and it's about what you get. It's about the warm, the fuzzy feelings, the, the emotions that make you feel better either about yourself or about life or about somebody else. And of course, those feelings and those emotions are very significant and are an important part of love but are not the very heart of true love. John 13 and then the later the cross shows us what true love is. True love is cow love. It's not something you get, it's something that you give. It's not something that you find, but it's something that you give to others. It's taking up a towel, wrapping it around your waist, and serving people. Now, because that is true love and it's designed by God, it can't help but creep into our culture at different points. And although we kind of make fun of Disney movies for its version of true love and 
It's always true love's kiss that is what you really need to find. But in the movie Frozen, it's a great picture, I think, of this true love in action. You might remember one of the main characters, Anna, gets a frozen heart. And we're told in the movie that there's nothing that can unfreeze a frozen heart except an act of true love. And like every other Disney movie and every other fairy tale, what the quest then is to find Prince Charming, who will give true love's kiss and then unfreeze the frozen heart. But that actually isn't true love. And as you get to the end of the movie, you see what true love is. It's where Anna is prepared to sacrifice her own life to save her sister. And once she does that, then everything becomes unfrozen because that's what true love is. It's laying aside position and power out of service of others. True love is Tao love. Now, when that love is offered to you, what do you do? Well, there's generally two choices you can make when anyone offers you anything, isn't it? You can receive it or you can reject it. You can turn away from it or you can embrace it. And that's what we see in John chapter 13 as well. Firstly, we see love betrayed. And we know about Judas in a moment and we'll talk about him. But first of all, I want you to see that Peter is the initial one who rejects this offer of true love. You know, when Jesus offers to wash his feet, he says, no, you'll never wash my feet. And then Jesus replies to him, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And remember, this takes on even more spiritual and eternal significance when you remember that the foot washing is really a signpost to what Jesus is about to do on the cross. Unless I serve you, Peter, unless I die for you, you cannot be clean. You cannot be right with God. You have no future, no heaven waiting for you. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Friends, it's a dangerous thing that, to believe or to think that you can be right with God apart from Jesus dying on the cross for you. One day we're all going to stand before God and there might be many excuses that people have to God on that day. Lord, I should come into heaven because I was a clean person. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't an alcoholic. I was reasonably moral. I went to church. I even ran programs at church for years and years. I was a good person. And as good as that all might be, it doesn't count. Unless I wash you, Jesus says, you have no part with me, no matter what you've done or whatever you have achieved. And there may be some here this morning where this is your position before God, even though you're here at church. You have not yet been washed by Jesus. There may be people not here this morning that you know they might be holding on to many other things to make them acceptable to God to get to heaven, but unless they've been washed by Jesus, they have no part with him. Peter changes his mind, and we'll see that later. But there is a person who does betray this love. And we know him well. His name is Judas. Let's have a look at how that unfolds. And it really is a sad story. Jump down to verse 21. When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, I assure you, one of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. 
One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, He's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Therefore, Jesus told him, what you're going to do, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he told him this. Since Judas had kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him to go buy what we need for the festival or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. Judas betrays his Lord, his teacher, his master. He's not sent out by Jesus. He's not excluded from fellowship. He removes himself from fellowship with his Lord and his brothers in Christ. And I think by deliberately telling us it was night, John says, and it was night when Judas left, John's not merely telling us the time of the day. He's telling us something about the spiritual state of Judas. He is now a servant of the darkness. He is now a servant of the evil one himself. And I don't think when it says Satan entered into Judas, we're meant to kind of think like the exorcist movie where Judas is now under complete control of the evil one so he could say one day before God, the devil made me do it. I had no power over this. The devil is already taking a desire deep within Judas to betray Jesus and just magnifying it to ensure it will happen. It's interesting, the disciples are confused and say, oh, maybe he's going out because he's in charge of the money. Maybe he's going out to give some money to the poor. But we know from the other Gospels, what's Judas going to do? He's going to get money for betraying Jesus. He already has the desire, a selfish, greedy desire, and the devil is just magnifying that in his heart so that he will do what he wants to do anyway. Despite what our culture says, betraying Jesus, rejecting Jesus is not like just changing a brand of toothpaste with minimal consequences. It's serious. Rejecting his love, the only alternative is the darkness. And when Judas is overcome by the darkness, we ultimately know what his end will be as he takes his own life. Because when you're out of fellowship with the Lord and his people, all you have is darkness, loneliness, and nowhere else to go. And Judas just takes that to the extreme. Listen to Jesus. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So a better choice then is to embrace the love, not reject it. And that's what Peter does. He changes his mind. Verse 9, he says to Jesus, First of all, he said, you know, you'll never wash me. And then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter says, well, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And of course, Peter doesn't fully understand exactly everything that he is saying. And of course, we know that Peter is going to head down the Judas path and deny Jesus. But his words are correct. Well, Jesus, if you need to wash me, then wash all of me. Not just my feet, but everything about me. 
I need you. And that's how we embrace the love of Jesus today. We echo Peter's words, Lord, wash all of me, not just my feet, but my head and my hands. Thank you for your death on the cross where my heart can be clean, where you can change my desires, where you can offer me fresh start, new life with you. You ask him for it and he will deliver. And I think in verse 10, did you notice that verse kind of stands out a little bit uh, when Jesus says, well, if you're already clean, you don't need to be washed again, just your feet? I think implied in that is a good practice for Christians of, of regular confession. Yes, once you've turned to Christ, you have been washed, you have been clean, but you still live in a fallen, sinful world. Your feet will still get dirty. And so it's right and appropriate for Christians to continually confess their sins, not to become Christians over and over again, but just to acknowledge that you're always and everywhere completely dependent on Christ for your standing before God. And that as you live in a fallen world, you will still need to be reminded that you are imperfect and need of grace and forgiveness. A bit like a married couple. You know, married couples can have great times together, but every now and again they get their feet dirty. They hurt one another. And yes, they don't need to get remarried again, but if they don't acknowledge the hurt, confess it and turn away from it, it will erode intimacy over time. It's the same with God. It's a good practice for Christians to confess their sins and to be reminded of the grace of God each and every time. Now, once we've embraced the love of Jesus, we've asked for it and received it, Jesus then goes on to say, well, if you're living an embraced love, then you will show it to others. Have a look at verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, this is what I said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also follow, just as I have done for you. Now, I put my cards on the table and I'm not, I do not believe that Jesus is instituting a Christian practice of foot washing in saying these words, although I don't have a problem with foot washing and if you really want me to give you a foot massage and a clean after the service I might be able uh, to do that but I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying here he's not instituting one particular practice of showing love oh if just loving each other was just as simple as doing this one thing that would put us all off the hook but it's not what Jesus is instituting is an attitude to cover every action that we do every practice and that is love Verse 34, this is the command, a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. And of course, it's not really a new command. The Jews knew from the Old Testament that there was a command from God to love your neighbour as yourself. What is new about this command is to love as Jesus has loved, by being prepared to lay aside, not just your robe, but your life for the sake of the other not just doing what feels good, not just doing what you want to do, but doing what needs to be done out of love for the other. Because true love is towel love. It's being willing to take up a towel, humble yourself, and to clean the dirt off somebody else's feet. 
Will you pick up your towel today? Will you pick up your towel and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? If we understand and receive his love, then we ought to never be too proud to do even the most menial of tasks for the sake of another person. Christians will be people that get on the dirty floor and play with their kids. Christians will be people that offer to clean the kitchen or even stoop down and clean the toilet bowl, even the one that 250 people have used at church on a Sunday. That's what we'll do. Christians will be people that spend time with the broken, the homeless, the lonely, the ones that nobody else will. Christians will be people that don't let hurt, hurt to them, breed into resentment in their heart. Even if it means that they need to make the first step and pursue reconciliation, even embarrass themselves to do it, they will do it. Christians will be people that make time to gather with other Christians, even if it's just a small gathering, because you know that somebody else needs you. Christians will be people that are willing to give and are willing to serve, particularly the Lord's church, not just in your supposed gifted areas or where it feels good for you, but where there is a need to be met and you have capacity to meet it. True love is towel love. It's humbly taking the posture of a servant and loving others. We know our church mission statement really well, don't we? I hope we do. Our mission is to love Jesus and to show Jesus' love. And I think we can be all too quick to want to receive Jesus' love, and we ought to. We can be all too quick to want to see other people love us like Jesus, and therefore really quick to point it out when they're not loving us like Jesus. But are we as quick to show it ourselves? to either members of our own church and definitely to members in our community. We say that that's what we're on about as a church. Let's live it out. And the first step in living it out is receiving it afresh ourselves, inspired by it, so that we can put it into practice. And if that's not a good enough reason, verse 35, Jesus gives us one more. By doing this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If just living like Jesus is not motive enough for you, Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples. As they look at you, they might be a little bit intrigued and think you're crazy at times, but they will be attracted to your way of life, to your way of love. And they will know that you are followers of Jesus. Can you see it? Can you see it? None of us know when our hour will be up, but neither do we need to be paralysed by fear and wonder how we ought to live with the hours that we have. Life is love, and love is laying aside for the sake of the other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love again. Thank you for reminding us of it in this example of your son washing his disciples' feet which we know is just a preview to his laying aside of his life on the cross in a few hours' time. We need this love. Our hearts are unclean. We need only the forgiveness that you can bring. Thank you that at this Easter time we can remember that love. 
we can embrace it afresh. But having embraced it, Father, we pray that we would show it, that we would follow our master, that we would be prepared to lay aside not just our robes, but our life for the sake of others, that they might know that we are your disciples and that they might find the love that only you can bring.